See you next time. Bye. Peace. To a special episode of Watchers on the Couch, Tarantino edition. This is part two of Jordan and I's excursion into the world of Quentin Tarantino, and we just got back from seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I will say that I'm feeling up. I'm not. I'm not low energy Jeb like last episode. Yeah, but we were both Leb Jeb last episode, weren't we? You know what? I'm not gonna disagree. <laughs> Um, it was we weren't th- thinking big. Well, we if also like as uh, someone said in this movie, if you eat before you have to do your thing, you Fucking get sluggish. Amen. One of my favorite characters, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll talk um, about that later, but yeah, one of my favorite characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, as we said, we just uh, got I feel back like from. We already just jumped into it. But the the yeah, man. well the the Arnold uh, Theater. We have to we have to mention a couple things. It's the Schwarzenegger Theater. Yeah, because we want to give our genuine human experience here. Yeah. Um, um, well, can we talk about the fact since it is Jordan Wakefield that uh, I did get high, <laughs> and so did you. <laughs> yes, I did. And so we started out the experience that that away, uh-huh. and. I said, if I'm seeing a movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm doing the whole let's go on to the drive-in, let's <laughs> go into the drive-in, you know what I mean, and yeah, get yeah, ourselves yeah. a snack. That uh, I'm I'm doing that, so I got a whole meal. <laughs> yeah, you ordered chicken fingers and fries, and it was going to take a little bit. And I got a bag of Kit Kats, right. and I got a Corona. Right. And it was like <laughs> sitting in my car. Let's go down to the lobby and get ourselves a snack. What I should mention also before is that I forgot my wallet on the way to Jordan's. Oh, this is fun. Yeah, so Jordan ended up paying my way both ticket and snacks. Uh, I got... As you do for a friend. Exactly. Um, That never happens, by the way, but for some reason today What, friends help you? (laughs) Yeah, I know. know. It's less and less over the years. Yeah, now the social media. (laughs) So... Uh, Jordan had not seen the movie yet, so because the chicken fingers are going to take an extra seven or eight minutes, uh, it ended up taking about ten minutes. All right, so you got there after the previews. You uh-huh. actually got there at the exact moment the movie was starting. Yes, I was so walking in. can I tell in. you about the previews for a Sure, sure you can, but I want to mention as I was walking in, even the theater advertisement was ending so I got to the very, very. Oh, he he nailed it. Yeah, like I nailed if you it. wanted to pirouette down <laughs> and in in a quarter turn <laughs> and take a seat, <laughs> it was the perfect moment. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, as you mentioned, I missed all of the previews, and I am genuinely interested in in whatever the okay. previews. So, I almost want to just say this because I was sitting there and I thought. These movies all look great. Okay. I will not remember to look up any of them. Okay. Only if they are shoved in my face by the Netflix algorithm will I ever see them again. 
<laughs> okay. And I thought, what a shame. So you maybe know? they didn't rise to quite the importance no, of... no, 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 no. I'm just saying that's uh, how the human mind works. Yeah. Like, I'm here to see a whole other movie. Mm-hmm. And I have limited mental resources. You're probably going to get erased out, you know, of this night's memories. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not going to wake up busting like, oh, shit, I got to subscribe to that website. I got to follow their fucking vlog. Well, also, you're going to be in this movie for close to three hours. So yeah. you're going to maybe forget. Completely. So actually, right now, I do remember that's just because it's tonight. So let me get it on uh, podcast what what is the medium of a podcast? Podcast ones and zeros. Let me get it on ones and zeros that uh there are three movies I want to see. Based on the previews. I think there were four. I'll let you know if I have seen any of these. So something's called like Good Kids or something like that. And it's from the creators of Superbad and Sausage Party. Good boys. Good boys, yes. Okay, so you know it. It's mm-hmm. it, it's really young middle schoolers cussing like sailors and just involved in all sorts of adult situations which is probably 50 years from now we'll say that was bad for the kids yeah but right now it's uh, it's fun and popcorn yeah i i actually know we have a little bit of a noisy street right now I know one Surreal. of I know the African American uh, actor, uh, child actor who is in this threesome of uh, of kids who front this movie, Good Boys, mm-hmm. and he was on a show called uh, Last Man on Earth, a very funny comedy on Fox that was super underrated. I haven't heard um, of it, but but I think. Uh, so, what you're saying is this this is one of the trailers that sort of intrigued you? Oh, it looks good. Like yeah. if, if I saw that on a video rental shelf, which I never will cuz there is no such thing anymore. But if I saw it <laughs> rated R comedies are were a thing of the past and now they're sort of coming back. I hope so. Yeah, it seems that way. If I see it on Netflix, I'll watch it. Yeah. Sausage Party seemed a little like yeah, I never saw that. I bet it's good. Yeah, I just don't know why I didn't want to watch. A lot it. of really good, talented people did voices yeah. in it. You know, Seth Rogen and and it's from the. I'm sure they nailed it. Yeah, but anyway, the other previews I saw, there was another comedy, and it was a comedy about the Hitler Youth, which is just bananas. Uh, the trailer is, or just the idea? The idea yeah. and the trailer. <laughs> okay, I need to it's see this like, trailer. Do you know? Remember what the title of it was? No, I do not. I'm okay. sure I could look it up. It's not. They're not making a lot of these. That's an easy. That's an easy <laughs> yeah. Google. That's yeah, a really. They're easy not Google. making a lot of these. <laughs> uh, anything interesting in the trailer you want to mention? There was one part where Hitler comes up, and he seems very reasonable. And he doesn't think what he's doing is going to lead to something bad, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, if you you can, uh, I, he I, could have been like that. Who knows? I want to see the way they portray oh, it in a, com- a comedic fashion. It's just fucking. It, it's kind of like Ernest goes to camp, uh-huh. but Hitler Youth. Wow, <laughs> wow. Well, I look forward to seeing. Oh, that I got to look it up. I got to look it up. It sounds. Um, it, it sounds. Uh, very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, third, third final one, third one. Um, Willem Dafoe. An artsy flick about a lighthouse, but it's shot in black and white, and the preview was all in TV square format. To- interesting, or immediately intriguing, because you're like, what the fuck? What so, set in the past? I don't know how far in the past, but it's about guys in a lighthouse. So, it, it almost feels timeless, like when the, within the last couple hundred years. Like, it could have been 150 years ago. It could be 150 years from now. Could you tell by the way Willem Dafoe was dressed, possibly? Uh, no, because it was like raincoats and stuff. Oh, so, okay, okay. Um, maybe I missed something. I'm it's, sure I missed something. It's all right, man. But an artsy-fartsy Willem Dafoe black and white lighthouse movie that looks awesome okay the way the trailer was cut i can't imagine how it would not be good like if you're there for something the pace of jackie brown or once upon a time in hollywood you'd be into a lighthouse movie with willem dafoe well quentin's movies are uh very artful you know yeah they are they're they are the pinnacle of the art house movie yeah. Most of the art house movies are down at the bottom. They aren't making shit. And he is just an art house director who has had mainstream success. I would say Reservoir Dogs is a total art house movie. And it, it I would only, say all, they all are. Yeah. And I think that um, it being dealing with such intense subject matter, that is what was the breakthrough. Yeah. You know? And um, just messing with the movie format. Yes, absolutely. Um, Which okay, so we have other cleanup to do. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, that's where exactly where I was going. We forgot two movies. All right, so you take one, I take one, because well, I know more about one, and you know, actually, you've seen one I haven't seen. I've seen one you haven't seen. Yes. So um, I'll intro. I'll, I'll give you the first True Romance. Okay, I'll toss it to you. True Romance was the one that uh, you hadn't. So true, or that romance, I hadn't seen. I should say, sorry. <laughs> if memory serves, the director was Robert Zemeckis. I'm not 100 percent sure, but if that was him, he was a pretty big player in Hollywood. You know, like he's, oh yeah, totally. He's directed some of the big things that don't necessarily come to mind, but that's not a knock against him. Um, he did Forrest Gump. Yeah, and I'm probably totally wrong about the director. <laughs> cause I I'm mean, high. even okay. So director aside. Okay. Quentin Tarantino helped Did not write direct it. it. Did not direct it. He wrote uh, it, correct? It was, yeah, he wrote it and it was bought, I believe. Does he act in it? I don't think so. Uh, I, I, you told me of it and I know, I've seen, you know, previews over the years, yeah. but for whatever reason, I never got to it. All right, so here's two things about it that you can tell are totally Quentin Tarantino. Uh-huh. All the auto, autobiographical brush strokes. Like, there's a guy that works in a comic shop. Okay. That's Pierre Tarantino. Yes, definitely. Real life stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of Elvis references. That's Pierre Tarantino. So he has these big, broad brushstrokes of personality across the script. Um, But he also has dialogue. Quentin Tarantino is known for having snappy, awesome, not even snappy, just dialogue that stays with you. Sticky dialogue. Do you know why he passed it on to someone else to direct? Was he busy with something else? No, I think it was near the beginning of his career, and I think it was sold before he made a name for himself. Okay. So even before Reservoir Dogs? 
Yeah, he has. He, there was another script he sold before that. What was it? Uh, let's see. Was it the? Was it Oliver? No, that was the Natural Born Killer. It might have been around the same time. Okay. Okay. So Natural Born Killers. I don't know which one was sold first, but he wrote two movies that he never directed, right, and right. that was Natural Born Killers, which Oliver Stone picked up, and uh, True Romance. And which did, was was Natural Born Killers the other one we didn't mention? Yes. Okay. That's the one you're going to comment on because I haven't seen it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, should I just do that then? Well, let me talk about True Romance. <laughs> oh yeah, go ahead. I haven't really said anything about it. Um, uh, just Christian Slater, great performance. Uh, one of the Arquette ladies, can't remember her name. Um, great performance. And just very kitschy, you know, in some parts, like Tarantino likes it, which was awesome. But just uh, great character moments and great moments, like in all Tarantino movies, when violence breaks out, it is very much in service of the story rather than the other way around, like, we're inserting violence to to prop up the story. Uh-huh. Yeah, like an action movie or something like exactly. that. Exactly. It's, it's not like that. Exactly. Not like that at all. And so it makes it all that more uh, indelible, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to get to that as soon as possible. I know I'm saying I'm a lot, but that's just because I'm high. But, just uh, be you, Jordan. Uh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> what is the thing I really like about you? I like one of the soundtrack bits. Yeah. Hans Zimmer. Oh, great, yeah. Hans Zimmer did uh, the track for True, Mo- True Romance, and a lot of times when I'm just thinking about somebody, I'll put on that track and just think about them. And uh, the word romance doesn't have to be man, woman, sex, you know. It's uh, romance is an ideal uh-huh. that you have in relationships. And so I think when I listen to that track and I think about the theme of the movie and... Even when it is man and woman, like that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, can't disagree there at all. I yeah, I found it an uh, interesting title, but not never enough to pull me in. And then of course I've oh, seen the trailer. Great. It's great. You should. They, it has one of the best Christopher Walken performances of all time in that movie. Well, they sold. Yeah, <laughs> you know. There you go. Uh, Natural Born Killers. Um. Of course, Oliver Stone directed it, written by Tarantino, and I feel that Oliver Stone d- did a disservice to the violence aspect. He, Sorry to hear that. He took it to, uh, too far, you know what I mean? Okay. Because um, you're always riding that line when you're using violence and in movies. And you try to push it too far over. Yeah, and I think um, you know Woody Harrelson is great in it, the actress who, uh, you know, is with him in the movie. She, oh, what was her name? She was in uh, what's he? She's in Dust Till Dawn. Was she in What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Or am I thinking of something else? Oh, well, Leah was. <laughs> I think I want to say she was. I want to say that was her breakout. But she's um, she's a great actress. No, you know, I don't think it's any of she the actors. She always plays kind of a nerdy chick. Yeah. a lot of the times. There's there nothing about the actors is the problem with the movie. They are su- supremely talented, and, you know. Um, ever and even um, even Iron Man. I didn't mean nerdy. I meant dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Even uh, Robert Downey Jr. is great in this movie as like a, a media guy. Uh, yeah. Who's who's sort of like the hard copy reporter sort Let's of face uh, it, trope. Though, Tarantino is also a master of casting. Yeah. Um, he's uh, And the movies that he's directly involved with, casting. Have you ever had a problem? I can't think. Uh, off I can't the top of my head, of I can't think one. of I can't think of a. All right, I have one. Okay. I don't really like David Carradine, but I think that's just a hang-up of what I know about the dude. Yeah. I don't think it's because he was a bad cast. Yeah. I, um, Other they, than that, nothing. Nothing. Well, in a single movie. I can think of a girl. one of the girls in Death Proof, I felt, was not as genuine as the character Which could one? have been. The black girl racist? I think so, yeah. You're racist. I, I know, man. Racist. It's a big hang-up I got. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, everyone out there in podcast land. Dude, Quentin Tarantino movies are not racist. No, definitely not. And certainly that was not my issue with that. And, if you, and <laughs> if you think it is, we reject your hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. No, I, I just felt like her character was not as uh, realistic as I come to expect from yeah, Tarantino. But I feel that. It, but the style of that movie didn't call for that necessarily. No, so. it actually needed a needed kind of those paper characters in a way yeah so um i think without much further ado we should get to this movie because we get to it can i grab a beer yeah you can we have quite a bit to cover i will hold your microphone uh you know i think i'm gonna pass Oh, yeah, we covered all bases. It's going to be interesting to talk about this movie because I don't really know what to think about it until I talk about it. You know what I mean? Uh, Hello. Uh, that gas out. Nice acoustics by Chris. <laughs> so, let's discuss this film shall we <laughs> was we that the most non the unnatural way that was in? super unnatural <laughs> that but it kind of brings us back to the 1950s and 60s which is when this movie is set yeah us. and um if you know we're just going to kind of go through the movie and not worry too much uh we're going to skip around a little bit is what i'm trying to say we will go wherever our tongues take us. exactly so we open with this very unnatural seeming interview between uh, the interviewer who I'm not, I think he introduces himself, but I don't remember his name. It, Kurt Russell does the narrator's voice later right. in the movie. Is it him? No, no, no. Okay. It's 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 the reporter interviewing them on the set of Bounty Law. Oh, yeah. And, and it's uh, very buttoned down. Yes. It was awesome. It was a... Uh... So what's interesting about this movie, I think, in terms of setting, mm-hmm. is that you're placed immediately in a very 1950s view of things and it's black and white right and then you 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 switch to color and you realize it's 1969 yeah right and our main character is a dude that was the shit but a decade ago right exactly eight years prior he was on top yeah he he played the hero exactly you know just what you would expect from somebody that came up in black and white yeah, and then the industry is completely changing, and yeah, and you got to deal with characters like the director is quite the character. Oh, absolutely, the director of a movie that uh, 
that Leo's character, Rick Dalton, is a. Uh, He's in the, especially that scene in the trailer where you get the full meal deal of what the director's all about, you know? (laughs) So what's so interesting, and if we don't address it, our jumping around will seem insane, Mm -hmm. but uh, what's so interesting is as Tarantino fans, I mean, you've got to be fans of film in general, I think. So I had a film appreciation class where we had to watch like Citizen Kane yeah. Did you ever watch that movie? Yes, also in a film appreciation class. Yes, and it's like, oh shit. There's like good shit. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's among it, I mean, if not the best, it's among. And so. and you have to realize that a filmmaker like Tarantino is completely influenced by that stuff. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. Classic Hollywood. Yeah, he is a student of the game. So one thing I thought while I was watching this movie and they were delivering different acting performances and you know it's for a take. Yeah. And DiCaprio nails it like in the movie, in the meta movie, in the what you think about movies. Uh-huh. And you realize there's probably a lot of old actors that fucking nailed it. Like what won best Oscar in nineteen fifty eight? Yeah. I bet it's awesome. Right, exactly, yeah. And it kind of makes me want to go back and watch those movies. Yeah, I actually listen to Yeah, I listen to a podcast that is going down the 100 uh most loved movies by Turner Classic Movies right. or something like or some kind of list we like watched, that. We uh, watched my daughter and I watched the movie Heidi. Uh-huh. And it was made like in the late 50s or late 60s something like that. And we loved it. And I thought, dude, there were moments in that movie where I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Or there were times when there was like a dance and song number. I'm like, dude, you don't see anything like this. No, you don't. It's it's classic stuff. My sort of knowledge of old Hollywood centers mostly around uh, Twilight Zone. That's, yeah, that's a good entry point. Yeah, Twilight Zone, I I love every... could put on any episode and enjoy watching it. So. Trying to think if there's anything else old. Uh, I I really liked Marx Brothers. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. watched Marx Brothers? No, not at all. But I know they're renowned. They're good. Yeah. Dude, they hold up. They're let's, good. Let's uh let's talk about sort of the setup of the way this movie is structured because I you go in knowing that it's only going to be vaguely about the Charles Manson murder, right? I assumed it was vaguely about the Charles Manson murder. Yeah. I now think differently except that in all details it really wasn't but it was a huge underlying like it's sort tension of a, builder. yes yes it's a cloud yeah. that hangs over the entire experience because soon, you know we're going you, somewhere they show you pretty early on charlie yeah and the, the dude that plays charles manson is in what two takes right yeah he's barely two in camera shot barely in it. he's his spoiler but this whole thing's a fucking oh, yeah, spoiler yeah. so the, if you well, dumbass didn't figure that out people that come to the show know they're getting spoilers so yeah um he, yeah he's a shadow that hangs over this movie a cloud if you will and he uh and hit the idea of him creates, permeates throughout he creates all the tension actually yeah. which i was actually thinking if you didn't know who Charles Manson was and you didn't know that reference when they showed him in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. what was that movie like for you? It, I'm not saying it was bad, yeah, but it might have been totally different and cool for all different reasons. Yeah, yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. we can't take that Charles Manson filter off because we know. Right. And the whole Roman Polanski thing. Yeah. He he did another Damn, we're skipping all the way to the well, end. Well, check this out. I want to I want to set up this at the very top. It's a A B story movie. Mm-hmm. So you get Rick Dalton and his stuntman Cliff played by Brad Pitt, of course, and then you get Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate, and we sort of seldom see her husband Roman Polanski. He's in the movie, but not a lot of speaking parts. Dude, let's just address the overall plot, and then I have a couple things stuck in my mind that I'm like, these are my main takeaways. Okay. Well, the plot is pretty expansive, so... <laughs> well, uh, let's we, talk about it like that A-B. Like, it's yeah. a... I think it's a lot like Inglorious Bastards. Okay. Where you think, oh... There's all these weird things happening, but I know what happens in history. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Therefore, when what doesn't happen in history is the thing that happens in the movie, you're you're totally thrown. Well, then that makes you think about the title, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a fairy tale. It is a fairy tale. And what happens is the Manson thing is set up, and it still pays off. In an alternate history. Yes, very much like Inglorious Bastards. Exactly like Inglorious Bastards. And here's another thing I thought was weird. I'm not going to preface this a lot because you can just suffer through it if you don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm just talking Jordan to Chris. Uh huh. Tarantino, huge influence. You can see it in Hafu. The whole premise of Hafu 2 is Columbine, but if someone was there to fight back. Right. So it's an alternate history. Right, right, right. So I lead you all the way up to Columbine, but there's this character who can murder people, and she flips on the side of the good guys and murders the bad guys. Right. Not seeing it happening. I felt like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did that exact trick. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do you it, see what I mean? It like, plays on the tension of Charles Manson that you felt throughout. So the throughout. Manson family breaks in. They're going to kill these characters we've come to love. Especially, dude. You know, we're, well, let's go Let's go back to before they break in. The trigger where you realize it's not going to go the same way, if you know your history about that night, is that girl getting they, back in the car and leaving. And they go to the other house. Right, but, but here's the weird thing, Chris. At the very end of the movie, how do we know that those weren't the Manson? Like, it still happened. Right. You know, like one of those Quantum Leap episodes where he tries to prevent the future from happening <laughs> sure, and yeah. it still happened? Good reference. Like, it seemed like when they walked into that house w- with Charles Manson, because wasn't he present? He was not present at that murder. He was not present. Okay. Uh, I believe another murder occurred uh, okay. to the Folger uh, yes. heiress. Yeah, and they, she was in the movie. And I, Yeah, and I want to say that he was either there or was outside or something like that. I'd be very interested to look back and see if she was the other lady in the picture because they did an overhead shot and there was another girl. Uh-huh. Maybe it was the Folger. Yeah, and what's great? What, what you know, knowing I was probably <laughs> going to see this again, I didn't want to look up the history. I like the yeah. magic of the movie. Yes, me too. So, and it it almost played on my ignorance mm-hmm. because I don't know what the actual body count was. Right, most people know vaguely. I remember his name, Charles Manson, mm-hmm. and I remember her name, mm-hmm. 
And then there's a couple and of, I there's two other males. One was the hairdresser. I don't remember any of their fucking, anything about them, but I remember Roman Polanski not being there and getting away. And, yeah. And turning into some. Well, the hairdresser, former lover of Sharon Tate yeah. guy, was one of the guys who got murdered in the house. Mm. Uh, besides that, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, but it's, it, it sets it up when they walk away at the end yeah. where... You got your alternative history, mm-hmm. but you also got kind of a huge question mark stuck in your simulation theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. did something still happen, yeah. but it was different? Yeah, because we don't know what happens to those characters after it's that. It's like Final Destination. You right. know, like you cheat death once and then it comes back in a different form. Yeah, no, I, I really like that idea behind that. I didn't even think about that at all until you That's brought what that I thought, subject yeah. up. Yeah, so. So, um,. Uh, is that the basic plot? I, I mean, there are so many. Basically, plots. yeah. Be, well, you also okay. Have so, hit. can I throw out something? One of my thoughts. Okay, go ahead. I think it's a buddy movie between the stuntman and the actor. I'll yeah. say for sure. There, Richard Dalton and uh, the, the A story of them. Yes, for sure is the A story is you have one, and that's why I said this is layered. Yeah. So you have a foundational layer, and the foundational layer is a buddy movie, dude. Yeah, right. And it kind of like really tugged on my heartstrings in a certain way. I found especially the "I have to let you go" part. Yeah, yeah. I found their relationship in this movie to be very charming. Both of them yeah. together, I felt like they played off each other's uh, insecurities. You know, neither one stole the show. Yeah, no, they shared the screen very. Very well. Uh, for the star power that's involved there, you know? Yeah. I found myself very uh, sucked into their stories, and I never once thought, that's Leo, that's Brad, you know? No, they. it was a great buddy movie, and the underlying theme, I think, is actually very sad. Yeah. Do you want one? Sure. Um, yeah, it's very sad, like, you know, hey, we're friends, but we can be better friends under these circumstances. It's it's kind of like when you have a childhood friend and you get to spend the night with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when you get older, it's not like they're less your friend. It's just you don't have time to be with them. Yeah, and there's a time, there's a point in this movie where he has to be like, mm-hmm. I can't afford you anymore. You're going to have to move I've, on and that find... That was so moving. I've, I right. found that tremendously moving. It was a huge takeaway. So... Rick Dalton, as we mentioned before, is a sort of falling star in Hollywood, and he has Al Pacino's character, who is a, a an agent, and he's telling him, you need to go and be the hero again. Hollywood, is, Hollywood is screwing you. Did you feel like there was a little bit of commentary on John Travolta? No, I don't think that's... You don't think there was any commentary on how John Travolta... Turned his career around and how Tarantino helped him in the Richard Dalton story. He's done that for multiple actors. He That's what I'm saying. So um, so that you don't think that was there? I didn't f- make that connection while watching it. No. I was very... Uh, I was making it throughout the movie. It's yeah. kind of like, how are you going to... And if you achieve fame again, how will you handle fame? Now, Dalton, I don't feel like he ever got that fame, except when he was over in Europe. Yeah. And, and he got a wife out of it. And he came he back did. and he, he kind of American did up. 
Like, he was just like, I'm going to live in a cul-de-sac. <laughs> they say, the, the narrator says he gained 15 pounds. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I love it. It's like uh, the end of Goodfellas. So whenever they're giving this sort of backstory while he's talking to this agent at the at the restaurant, their narrator shows you a commercial he did where it was called Hullabaloo, and they played a song about the green door. While oh, he, he I wanted sing, to comment yeah, on that. I brought it up potentially for you to uh, tell me about this song, The Green Door. Well, Chris, this is going to be very interesting because we had recently had a conversation. In that conversation, we talked about how... Dude, you know who you really want to hang around is those friends that you run into them and through no fault of anybody's, you just haven't talked to them in a couple months and you run into them and they're up to something, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I talked to you and you're like, I'm doing skateboarding. I said, oh, fuck yeah, you're up to something. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking on something new. I'm trying to open up a new lane, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Not just going through the motions of life, actually starting an adventure, you know. So I recently joined a group called Toastmasters. You ever heard about them? Uh, I'm sure it has something to do with brewing. No. No? It's a public speaking group. Oh, okay. Making a toast. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Toastmasters. Yeah, trust me, when I was a kid, I thought it was about bread, for sure. <laughs> By the way, I recently saw a meme. It was like, whoever the motherfucker is that said, I'm taking a bite into bread, no, cook it again. <laughs> Genius. He invented toast. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But Toastmasters, no, it's a public speaking group. Okay. Where you get together once a week, and you have to do, like, you do a speech or you get picked randomly to speak and all this stuff. And uh, why did I bring that up? I brought it up. The Green Door? Oh, The Green Door. Thank you. Thank you. So that's what I've been up to. And I went to a meeting and we have all sorts of different members. And a lot of the members are older. And this lady, she's like 80 something probably. Yeah. From New York originally still has the accent. Mm Mm-hmm. And she gets up, and I'm like, eh, or and she shows, ah, blah. She says, edit that, producer Tim. Uh, she says, I'm not practicing a speech. I'm practicing because at the St. Charles Convention Center or wherever the fuck it was, I am performing the Green Door, and I don't really sing, but I can play the guitar. So she gets the guitar. And she starts strumming, and she does the green door. And afterwards, I was like, that was pretty fucking awesome. You know, like, a normal Tuesday night would have not been as entertaining as what I just saw. And the green, so when she did this, was it before the movie came out? It was before I knew the movie was coming out. It was before I knew. So it's just a song she liked. And the only reason I knew it was in the movie is because somebody came to the meeting and said they saw the movie and that song was in there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you got a little heads up on that. And you're I like, did. oh, that's that moment. Yep. You're like, remind me to tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very cool. But it ties us back to the being up to something. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, Well, let's skip around a little bit. I want to talk about the Hitchhiker Girl. Uh, They sort of hint at her because 
you okay so driving scenes are a big thing and i okay wanna, yes that's another thing i wanted to mention is especially in the beginning of the movie dude i was struck by all the i thought of it like he actually filmed a car chase scene uh-huh with one car um, it was the car going from point A to point B, right? But it felt like a car chase scene. Does that make sense? Yeah, because a lot of car chase scenes they have shots inside. interior dash. Yeah. You know, you hear music going, wide shot where you see them move yep. across the screen. Yeah, I, I there's a bunch of driving stuff I want to get into. Yeah, I felt like if you could put a reigning crown on Tarantino for this movie, it was he invented the car chase scene with one yeah. car just going to a normal place <laughs> so there's there's um there's been i i've heard gripes about the amount of driving in this movie you know because oh, of I the length it. of the movie i yeah. enjoyed it too um i think it serves many functions though going back to the hitchhiker girl cliff the stuntman can't just find her right away and have her right. take her take him to the ranch right he away has to have the seed planted yeah so you get the chance encounters with her the first time. It would have felt he's going too, the opposite it way. Felt too much like a gimme. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And Quentin Tarantino's not that guy, you know. Mm. So second function that I feel like it serves, um, it shows off the scenery of the movie. The, very it, much a set piece. Yeah, the it, whole movie was very much a set piece. That that Sunset Boulevard strip, he redid the a, time, a at least yeah. four blocks. The time and the place yeah. was very important to this movie. Yeah, and you you actually reservoir dogs could happen now, right? The second you know time I mean? he sees her, he's driving around the corner by this place called the Pandora's Box, which was a. a Super hip club yeah. around that time. They remade exactly what it looked like. I love all those little touches, man. All that I stuff's think great. It also matters with what uh, Richard Dalton told him he had to do. Mm-hmm. So you notice the first time he has to fix uh, an antenna, and he doesn't pick her up. Am I right about that? Yeah, he's on the roof. Yeah, so he doesn't um, pick her up. He's not he, going her way because yeah, he has to go back and he has to do a chore. Yeah. And she Dalton. does this really cute um, play sad face. Yeah. I was instantly intrigued by that character. Where I, I know I'm going to see her again. You know what I mean? She was you know that immediately. Har- Harley Quinn-esque. Yeah, absolutely. So the second time, though, he didn't have any instructions. Right. If I remember correctly. So he had the day free. And right. And he was like, well, fuck yeah, I'll pick you up. It's, yeah. the, it's the third time. Now, I also thought... I told you last time that someone said this was might be Quentin Tarantino's commentary on the Me Too Harvey Weinstein thing. Okay. I don't know. I think that might be a stretch. It is. I, I feel like it's a stretch. I, but, it, it serves the story. So. But that scene where he picks her up, if it did connect, that was the scene. Yeah. yeah. Because he asks her about her age, and she says, I'll do it anyway, and she has the whole unshaved pit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which back then would be like, this is a girl who's down. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. showing me her pit. Right. And she's laying in my lap, and he doesn't go for it, which kind of makes him very heroic. Yes, you are, you're drawn to that aspect of that character. Yeah, right? you're like, oh, he's a tough guy, but he has a moral code. Heart of gold. 
He's like the old West gunfighter. He has a moral code. And that is in direct conflict with the stories about that character of him killing his wife and everyone being other stuntmen. By the way, what a great, like, how what, 30 seconds or yeah. 45 seconds? I don't know. We could dance all over. So, so I, I want to finish with the Hitchhiker Girl because I have another. Okay. Well, okay, so first of all, with the car thing, another purpose it serves is the shows the car culture in America. That is a thing. Yes. And, and radio California was always at the foreground right. of that automobile culture. And radio goes right along with that, which is another thing that ties into it allows him to show off exact uh as we mentioned in the last podcast, exact recordings of His use that of time. music is bar nine. Yeah, and there's actually little tiny things I'll mention later about the music that were like keys into what is about to happen that I oh, noticed his, on second viewing. His use of Existing music, right? To be able to splice it into a soundtrack, yeah. is fucking unbelievable, and something I try to emulate. All He's the just time. an encyclopedia of the shit, you yeah. know. Um, th- so, one th- interesting thing I found on second watch about the Hitchhiker Girl, when we actually get introduced and get dialogue from her. She's alone, away from the other cult members. That's when he picks her up. She's mm-hmm. alone, away from them, separated completely. And right? she really stretches it out yeah. and calls him in. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, super cute scene of her leaning in the window and all that stuff. I just, I love that girl. I want to see whatever movie she's going to be in. Right. <laughs> I'm, she's my number two crush right now. Number one crush is guitarist for Baroness, <laughs> <laughs> who's also a female. Uh, I got to say... Also, there's another separation moment that I saw, which I really liked, was when it's right after the scene where Cliff uh, meets Old Man Spawn Mm -hmm. and knows that something is up, but not quite as bad as he thought it was. Oh, great scene, by the way, because you are totally tense. Yes, yes. And then he just dissipates it. And the uh, symphonic soundtrack leading up to that, the tension is very um, from motion pictures at the time. Yes. Like, I I just love how he used specific style of of, uh, instrumentation there. Um, But I got to say, her positioning when the whole uh, flat tire scene is happening. Mm-hmm. She is at least two or three feet away from all the crazy rabble of the rest of the girls in the cult she, screaming. She seems centric, though. It seems like I saw well, her. That pulls, ten- that pulls your eye away from them. Yeah. In the background, you see her. And you know whatever she does, they'll do. Yeah, yeah, right. She led them into the situation. She's the central character that led this to the situation happening, you mm-hmm. know? So it... He he makes sure that you know she is one of the most uh, integral parts of this situation ever even happening. And she really helps set up the fact that that compound is cult-like. Yeah, yeah. The, the, again, back to the Charles Manson tension. She's constantly saying, Charlie would have loved you. Yeah. Or, or in so many words, she's saying, "I, you know, you got to come back, you know, so you can meet Charlie, that so, kind of thing. So a broader take on the tension, is that what I could... That's what I kept feeling throughout the whole movie is Tarantino kept building tension in these completely meaningless, and I don't mean that in a you shouldn't be interested in the first part of the movie, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, you're interested, when is the violence going to happen? When is right. When is something crazy? When is uh, a right turn going to happen? And 
it all ended up being very humanistic. Yeah. You know? And well-placed. All the tension. Yeah. And then finally, you got a taste, Mm -hmm. and that was Brad Pitt's character beating up that dude. And you think Tex is going to come down, and you're going to get another fight, because you're used to action movies. Right. And he, it's even, and, actually even before that, him and uh, Cliff and Bruce Lee, you oh, get yeah, some violence exactly. in that too. You, you had just a barely a taste. Everyone walked away yeah. fine. Yeah. But yeah, it was a super slow ratcheting up for kind of a really awesome payoff. But in that sense, I felt it was very Jackie Brown like. Yeah. Like where yeah. a lot of stuff that was happening was mundane and super interesting uh-huh but all those super interest peaks were in service to what you knew was going to happen later yeah and also building those characters and really rounding them out and you get a really nice idea of where yeah. they all come from their ideas about things let's let since we're on the bruce lee sort of thing i want to mention something that has come out since this movie almost immediately everyone was criticizing that um bruce lee would never have said that about Cassius Clay, and um, of course there's going to be trolls crawling and even, out of the woodwork. Even his daughter said he would never say that. Who, but, what other historical characters are realistic in Tarantino movies? Right, right. <laughs> it's a style. It's a choice. Yeah. But uh, it turns out Quentin Tarantino knew his shit. He had read many biographies. That does not surprise me. And he straight up fired right back and said i read the uh, one of the autobiographies and uh he absolutely would have said something like this and in fact may have said those exact words to his wife because his wife wrote a book about bruce and the whole thing about bruce lee is his hyper confidence Gave yeah. him his results. I'm, like, I I meant to say uh, biography earlier, not autobiography. No, I got you. Yeah. I got you. But his hyperconfidence produced results that made him hyperconfident. Right. It, they're not decoupled. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And Bruce Lee is not uh, your normal type of guy Sam either. used to tell me, if you think you're a bad motherfucker... There's always someone badder than you. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Bruce Lee. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I loved the actor playing Bruce Lee in this movie. I thought he, he did, did an amazing yeah, job. He really carried. He carried a very long, up close, rotating scene. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, he carried a huge chunk of the movie for someone who wasn't in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that, major. That actually reminds me of the Sharon Tate stuff. She, uh, I know she you, was the actress who played her. Uh huh. Margot she, Robbie. Margot Robbie also carried. Huge chunks of screen time yes. on her own. Yeah, yeah. And usually doing not very interesting stuff, and she did an awesome job. Yeah, I was going to mention how... Uh, so she goes to see a movie that she is a co-star in, uh, or maybe even like a bit actor in, and uh, she's opposite one of the Rat Pack in said film. Quint... Yeah, Dean Martin, and she, Quentin Tarantino makes the choice of while Mar- Margot Robbie is watching the movie, he didn't uh, superimpose Margot Robbie's face onto Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. 
Yeah, it, they they just played Sharon Tate. You saw a little bit of that, I think. Part of it was when you were in the restroom. Yeah, um, I like that. I like but that it was it was a great moment because it shows like it, it's actually honoring her in a way. Uh, the the uh, Sharon Tate herself, and one hundred percent. And also, actually, the the way that it ended honors the memory of those people. Yeah. Um, but but see, he did both though because Rick yeah, Dalton he was able to. He he superimposed he was, Rick Dalton into an old movie, uh, The Great Escape. Yeah. Um. So he actually played both sides of the card. Dude, there, there was so much that I I watched that movie and I thought to myself, he is making brilliant genius references yeah that i'm not even picking up because <laughs> i don't know any of these old movies well i yeah see i you know great escape is a kind of legendary movie which um, makes me like i said before want to do maybe the next watchers at the movies we watch a black and white you know known to be awesome movie yeah i'm down i i actually uh recently watched a World War Two sort of themed movie that came out in the sixties. Uh, gosh, I, I it's not it's maybe not the Wild Bunch. It's it's some it's very Inglorious Bastards esque, right? Which is why he made Inglorious, and Bastards. that would make a perfect yeah. one for us to watch. Uh, oh, that'd be great. So let's go to so back to Rick Dalton for a couple moments here. I want to mention. Rick Dalton's sort of fall from grace and his insecurity. You see his insecurities in acting in the where where they're filming that western with the guy who's the star of uh, Justified. Yeah, and, uh, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, yeah, he's great too. He is a, just a great actor. I you know, and he plays an he, actor very well. He fucking nailed it. He did in a way that made him not a star. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Not the star of the movie, and he. That shows a great actor because he's like, I'm here to play tennis with you. Yes, and you will look. He plays you know, down while Leo yeah. plays way up. Um, I really liked the choice uh, when they're when they're sh- showing him making these the the this film in particular, and uh, you know a little bit otherwise in the movie, but. They don't show any cameras. You just hear the director, right? And, and you they know. show it once at the very end. They show they break that fourth wall, right? And right. He goes over and talks to the director, and you see all the people behind the camera. You see Dalton throw a fit after he flubs up some lines. You see him in his trailer. So let me talk about that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I feel like if you zoom out, what's really successful about this movie is. He addresses that very Henry David Thoreau kind of thing. The most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Okay. Which we all want to be the top of the pyramid. We all want to be the movie star. Mm-hmm. Imagine being the movie star for like a minute. Yeah. And then sliding back down. Yeah. The pyramid. That's what we got to watch with Richard. Dalton. Yeah, and I you see that. all the steps. Yeah, you right? see all that, and it's and it makes you kind of realize, like, all right, maybe my life I'm not a hundred percent happy with, but mm-hmm. even if I was at the top of the pyramid, I would have twenty to thirty percent of my life I wasn't happy with, and maybe even worse if I was at the top and then slid down. 
even though I'm way higher than where I actually am now, you know, the me who's talking, mm-hmm. it would feel worse. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yes, like, yes. I still live on a cul-de-sac in the Hollywood Hills in a semi-mansion, but I feel like the lowest shit on earth. <laughs> right, yeah. Which is where I live in a subdivision, yeah. you know, <laughs> and... Uh, We're all in a constant battle to achieve... It's hedonism. This idea that we have of ourselves. Uh, it's, he- it's hedonism. Yeah. And the thing is, you will adjust. Right. But when you're on the downslope, it feels just as awful to go from 10 million a year to 9 million a year yeah. as it does from going to 40,000 to 25,000. <laughs> right. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. as awful. We're all the same. Yep. Uh, which, when he makes his rise. And he, you see him nail that scene with the little girl. Oh my god! So that it uplifting. makes it makes his story pay off so much. And we're not even to the end of the film yet. You know what I mean? No, but we kind of hit his. It's his in the third arc. act. We hit his arc. Yeah, we hit his hero moment. We um, also should mention Luke Perry plays a bit in this. That was I. His final role. I found myself a lot going. Is that Luke Perry? Yeah. Yeah, but was, so now that you say it, I know it was. It was his final role, uh, and what a one to go out on! Like, what do you, you mean know? final role? Did he die? Yeah, he passed away. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of a shame because, and, well, you know, actually kind of fitting because this was a, 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 again, a rise, right? Yeah, he was able to come in and play in an, a, uh, one, if not the one of the most acclaimed directors of our time, you know, probably the. He is Rick Dalton. He was in 90210. His star fell. He came back, and he played That's a bit. That's why Tarantino does all these things, man. Yeah. You see the same theme all throughout the movie. That's why I said it feels like he was almost commenting on John Travolta. Yeah. Uh, so, I, no, I could totally see where you're coming from on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another moment I want to make. Travolta. Oh, yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say because John Travolta's reemergence came from him switching to play a bad guy that was like yeah. the first bad guy he'd ever played yeah and what happened boom he's back on the sure yeah back on the map the so, dancing scene did him a lot of favors too so is that insane for dalton to think that playing a bad guy would bump him back up uh no yeah that t- it makes total sense uh can I say one thing? Yes, absolutely. All right, so the last thing on my list of things, because we covered everything else, was... Uh, I got a couple more. <laughs> which, which we'll do after Sure, yeah, this. yeah, yeah. The little girl. Yes, who, oh, uh, yeah. She's fantastic. The character felt like very... Misplaced is not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like It's not like she didn't work, Uh huh. but she was this interlude... A very different interlude to the whole film. And the scene where he's telling her what the book is about and starts crying. My favorite scene, man. It was a that's a one of the that's a one of the pinnacle scenes in this movie, that's honestly. That's my favorite scene. You get right down to the core of who Rick Dalton is. And he couldn't have done it without her. Yeah, right. You know, like that scene doesn't work without her, and he and she is the opposite in uh, every way of him. She was almost the Jiminy Cricket 
character. Yeah, right. You know? She's the spark of innocence in this movie. You know? The child. Great character. Great scene. Leonardo DiCaprio fucking nailed it. I will be thinking about that scene for a long time. Yeah. And I'm sure as a father, it reminds you of your your daughter. And as a teacher, it reminds me of sharing books that I love with, you know, kids to try to get them interested in reading. What's great about that is she's the one who's intrigued in what he's reading first. Exactly. It's a very much, like I said, a Jiminy Cricket kind of character. Right. Uh, far less impactful moment, but just something that I know Quentin Tarantino does in his free time from stories from many actors and, and fellow directors and stuff. When Cliff and Rick are watching his appearance on FBI, which I want to watch that show now. <laughs> I kind of do too. That show looks badass. Um, they are, you're watching the show with them. They're in the background and you hear them commenting on the movie that's what we do. That's what Quentin yes. Tarantino does all the time with movies, uh, especially old school movies and well, shows I, like that. I love the referential stuff. Like yeah. when he missed the line and said, ah, shit, line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, because of the LWA and stuff that the audience doesn't know about, we we live that yeah. to an extent. And I, Well, your experience in directing... Well, I always wanted to be a director. Yeah. And yeah. that's the only way I could do it. Yeah. And that's the only way I ever have done it, except for the thing I did for the Navy, which yeah. you've seen that, right? Uh, Yeah, I'm sure that I have at some point. The the suicide prevention video? I, you've told me all about it. I don't think I've ever you've seen it. You've never seen it? No. I might have to pull it up tonight. I'm certainly intrigued. Yeah, so after the LWA, I made a movie. Yeah. A serious movie. It was the only <laughs> serious movie I've ever <laughs> yeah. made. And uh, very influenced by Tarantino. Let's just put it that way. That's great. So, yeah, little comments from them. Like, these, there's an actor who plays a policeman finding the bodies that uh, Leo's char- or that uh, Rick Dalton's character has uh, shot. Yeah. And, and uh, Rick is like, that guy was a dick. <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about the acid cigarette oh yeah yeah yeah, for sure uh, first of all what a great hook like for me being a psychedelic you know like using psychedelics connoisseur and kind of knowing what it would be like and thinking oh how is he going to react to this extreme situation mm-hmm. and the way he, that it was written and brad pitt played it perfect dude yeah like, it could have easily gone the other way. It could have gone into a meltdown. Yeah. But the way he played it is also totally possible. Yeah, no, he confronts the extreme aspect of what is going on with it, total joy. Total silliness. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is a cartoon. He's you like, know, are you guys really here? Yeah, <laughs> this is a cartoon. He's like, I'm as real as a donut. If somebody said that to me when I was on mushrooms, I'm a, as real as a donut, the whole world would have just been like, are donuts real? I don't know. Yeah. This guy is a donut. Yeah. His head is a donut. I don't fucking know. And the tease of the dog early in the movie. Yeah. Becoming oh. such a sweet dog early in the movie. And then you get... At the end of the movie, That's he is what pit bulls are like. Though it's perfect. Yeah, because he's owner, the uh, the the pit bulls, the wild card in the situation. Totally obedient to the owner mm-hmm. and still a total killer. Yeah, 
yeah. um, amazing stuff. I I actually forgot about that he had total control over the dog till when it happened and it totally paid off. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Oh, it worked for me. That's yeah. fucking perfect. I named my cat Nuri yeah. based on the fact that I know that you can train animals to yeah. really do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing I want to mention, there's a specific music cue that I picked up on the second time around. There was more than mm-hmm. one, but this one was uh, a song saying you're almost out of time and it's showing Sharon Tate before you know that it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Right. It's towards Which, the it's when I think they're in the Mexican restaurant. That uh, makes sense. Yeah. It, it just builds mm-hmm. it just as the there were a couple signs also that mm-hmm. they they would appear in like the upper right-hand side of the screen and it would be like this is not what it said. I don't remember what it said, okay. but it was along the lines of, like, time's almost up or something like that. You yeah, know, yeah, there yeah, would yeah. be these subliminal cues right. pasted in the setting that it's like, oh. Oh, man, shit. now I want to see it a third time. Yeah, ratchets up, <laughs> ratchets up attention. Did you remember near the end that whole neon lighting up sequence uh, where they showed a bunch of signs in a row? On the strip? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was just like, it didn't show the street view, it just showed the signs in isolation yes, lighting up. right, right. Yeah, that was that was super, um, that was a great setting technique. Yeah, he's planting you right smack dab in the middle of that, right? I love it. Um, none of that stuff gets past me, which I, as a movie lover, that's, they're playing to us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> uh the other music cue, or maybe just something that I really liked, and I didn't really think too much about how the lyrics fit, but during the final fight, the juxtaposition of You Keep Me Hanging On, which is sort of like a mid-tempo mm-hmm. sort of pop tune, along with this ultra-violence happening, I just really liked the, the, his choice there. Um, I love that song, too. Yeah, he, which made him not speed up the end scene because the end scene was what you were waiting for. Yeah, the violence is right. what you were waiting for. Right. And he he didn't, like, indulge in violence. Yeah. But he kept you moving at a pace where you knew it was still all about violence. Yeah, you know? like, right. There was multiple times where, like, Francesca would yeah. scream. and She's the one that pulls you back into reality in that situation. Oh, she's the, she's the best. And let me just say, super high. Oh, They're yeah. Just, that just amazing Italian look. Yeah. But it was very Hollywood-esque. And she, like you said, she... As the feminine energy, mm-hmm. she pulled you back to reality to go, oh, no, this is scary. Yeah, right. Like, this seems like it has an up-tempo, and it's yeah, kind of funny because of the acid, but no, it's it's scary. There's- so two more things about the final scene. The Back to the acid cigarette. He is on that while he is performing these... Um, pseudo horrific also heroic acts against this these people Mm -hmm. these intruders because he is uh high yeah he's uh, because he's high he's in the zone it sort of plays along with what he's able to pull off like it unlocks this ability they or they tarantino Mm. built him up as a hero throughout the whole movie where you believed it yeah believe that he could handle the acid even under yeah the influence yeah exactly he has the help from his dog and he's uh (laughs) he's 
he's a rough and tumble guy. Yeah, he's ready he's for whatever fighter. is about to happen. He's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the other thing, which we didn't even really mention, that Rick Dalton was in a super badass movie where he torches some Nazis with a flamethrower. Yes. Turns out that super early in the movie scene, like it's when the he's callback. That's the yeah, callback. the callback all the way at the other end of the movie is the flamethrower. Just like a comedian that ends his last joke, yeah. and tying it into a joke that happened in the first five minutes. Fucking awesome! Yes. So, and it pays and it, off. It makes them suffer even further when you think they couldn't suffer anymore. And it doesn't even have to be believable. Right, 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 right. Because the entire concept is unbelievable. Because you're just you're just bought in. You're and he good. even made a the reason it hits. I think as well as he makes a joke to... about the flamethrower earlier. He's like, "Is there any some something we could do about this heat?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "Rick." It's a flamethrower. <laughs> and you want him to win. Right, right, You yeah. don't want to see Francesca survive and Cliff be the hero and Dalton fail. Right. You want him to have his moment. And he only gets one. And it's a helpless girl in a pool, technically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a hero pop. Well, she WWE also, style, you know what I mean? She still has the, uh, the gun in her the hand, gun. though. Yeah, so, so not completely, but... Uh, for all intents and purposes, about to die yeah, in it, that pool. It's still a McMahon, you yeah. know, turn yeah. where you're like, yeah, <laughs> torch that bitch. Did you notice the guy behind me who was laughing a lot throughout the movie? No, like, but we should talk about how that movie had a lot of laugh out loud audience moments. Yes, yes. The, I mean, peppered throughout, really. I, yeah. I found myself laughing even on the set. I knew when the jokes were coming, and I still laughed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think some of his were uncomfortable laughing, and then I found towards the very end when, when that stuff was happening, the you know, the final stuff, mm-hmm. that she was laughing uncomfortably, and he was laughing for a different for reason. For real, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I see, that's why you go to movies, man. Sometimes, that's awesome. Sometimes when the audience isn't distracting and you just enjoy it along with them, it makes it that much better. For sure. And I thought we had a good audience. I started... Oh, totally! I, I yeah, I tried to start to clap at the end, and it caught on about a little 30, bit. Yeah, thirty percent, thirty percent of the people. I and see, and this is a month into the run. Sixty percent of the people that just stick up their ass. Do you think any of those people were return viewers like us or like I was? Uh, maybe some, but probably just most are just like dull people in yeah. general. <laughs> <laughs> they're so, not passionate to see. They're like, oh, fine, no, <laughs> sir, no. Saturday night, what we Saturday see? night in Arnold, what else are we going to do? Mm, what do we see? Mm. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap I'm up. I want to see rated R movies. <laughs> before once, we... upon a t- once upon a Once upon a time in. Hollywood, stupid. Stupid ass. I fucking always have to go. Hollywood, once upon a time in Hollywood. Okay. Hopefully. Two tickets for once upon a time. <laughs> Before we wrap, because I don't want I don't want to wrap on that. We have to talk about red apple cigarettes. Oh, okay. That the uh, the after credit scene. I almost got up to go use the bathroom right away on first viewing. I was uh, my dad had already seen it. He was already on his second, mm-hmm. and that was opening week. Uh, wow. So my dad is a, a mega fan of movies in general. That's it was it isn't necessarily a Tarantino thing, right? Although he is a Tarantino fan, uh, 
That's cool. He gave me the tip. Hey, let's wait a minute. You know, and uh, the commercial of Rick Dalton back in his uh, bounty law days selling cigarettes that uh, are the least burning on your throat. <laughs> well, you could tell that Tarantino was doing hyperbole there. Yeah, like he was way exaggerating that. And that, but what was so cool is it tied it to a very dramatic scene. Yeah, in his trailer where he was. Woke up, not feeling great, thought, I'll smoke a cigarette that'll, you know, make me spruce up. Yeah, head in a bowl of ice. Yeah, and it didn't make him spruce up. Right. He coughed more, and he took, like, I think three or four drags and then threw it down. You never see that. Right. In any other movie. Yeah. You do not see a cigarette not working and someone going, (laughs) and putting it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Leo's choice to stutter as well. We didn't even mention that. He stutters oh, throughout. Yeah. Does he? Yeah, but bes- it's only when he needs, he's in his real life, when he's dealing with the world, when he's stuttering. Anytime he's... That makes a whole hell of a lot of sense, though. Or when he's being aggressive, he's also not stuttering. When he's yelling at the hippie kids sitting in the beater Brandon in front of his... can talk into a cell phone and not stutter. Right, right. So, yeah, that's realistic. Yeah, and you know, playing he, he Brian uh, Brandon's even told me when he's playing some kind of voice or something like that, or he do puts a stand up. Yeah, yeah, no stutter whatsoever. So it goes right in line with that. Unbelievable. But All right. I I absolutely love the choice of the Red Apple commercial. Uh, I feel like it helped even more of a mo- like me love a movie even more. So well, what was interesting about that movie was there are so many isolated great scenes mm-hmm. they're not even real scenes right they're the characters acting in a show right 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 there's so many moments like that where it's like hey that great scene from once upon a time in hollywood that had no bearing on the story <laughs> right yeah i don't it was character development so i don't mean it didn't actually fit yeah i just mean there are so many great isolated scenes, just like that Red Apple cigarette commercial. Mm-hmm. You can watch that on its own and think, oh, that was interesting and cool and well done. The movie was full of those. There's like Easter eggs everywhere. Yeah. And you could play that out of context, like as a YouTube clip yeah, or something like that. And you like could that. play tons of those Western movies or those spaghetti Western clips or the mob movies, or whatever, Mm -hmm. or the car chases, and say, isn't this cool? Yeah, what's it from? Oh, it's a make-believe scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the real trick is being able to edit all of that together and make it cohesive, and I feel like he really pulled it off. Facts. Both of us, super huge fans going in, but will continue to be so because even to this day he's pulling off great movies. So I would just say if you're going to go to see it, expect a slow burn and enjoy the slow burn Yeah, because it you're going to get a lot of mellow hits the whole way through. Yeah, and I really hope that somebody didn't listen to this first. <laughs> you know, because it, it uh, would take away a little bit. Uh, you'll be all right. It's yeah, yeah, still yeah. going to be fun. If you're a fan, you'll get to it anyways. Just like you're going to get to Inglorious, or you're going to get to Hateful Eight, and exactly. I'm going to get to True Romance. Exactly. And we'll reconvene afterwards. Uh, thank you. Sounds like a part three. Thank, yeah, exactly. And, th- thank, and Well, maybe even part four after we do 
The Dirty Dozen. That's the name of that movie I was trying to think of ah, earlier. This effect. Yeah. Okay. So uh, with that, we'll say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Ciao. Bambino. <laughs> <laughs>